Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Everybody, welcome into another episode of Believe in Kentucky. BBN, we got a fun one. You can get this episode wherever you get all the rest of them. Go to Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, number one content network for professionals. We have a great guest here to give us some insight on all things UK tennis, all things tennis, period. We saw the run Kentucky made to the Final Four in tennis this year. And someone who saw all of it, knew the ins and outs of it, we have with us Parsa Namadi on Twitter, at Parsa Bombs, the self-proclaimed Woj of Tennis. Parsa, man, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate it, Vinny. Glad to be on. And I got to I gotta kind of go back to the beginning. We, we met out in those, those Twitter streets, if you will. Uh, as Kentucky was making their run in the tournament, I saw myself getting tagged in tweets. I'm like, who Parsa Bombs? Who is that? Okay, tag me in a tweet. Oh, tweet about UK men's tennis. Okay. And then so I retweeted it. And then there was a tweet about a commitment, a recruit that had committed to Kentucky, a transfer coming to Kentucky, someone that was transferring from Kentucky elsewhere. And so I'm like, cool, I gotta gotta find out more about this parts the individual. So tell us about yourself. Tell us how you uh, came to cover tennis. Tell us how you tell, tell us how and why you are the woes of tennis. So grew up being a tennis fan and thanks for the kind words. Grew up being a tennis fan, played at a young age and my coach growing up was Steve Johnson senior who his son was the greatest college player ever at USC. So some background on him all four years he was at USC from 09 to 12. They won the NCAA team championship. And then in 11 and 12, he won the NCAA singles championship. And he ended his career with the 72 match win streak, which doesn't matter what level of tennis you're playing at 72 matches is incredible. So it was kind of nice having that up close view on the high level of college tennis growing up in Orange County, California, and then USC just an hour up north and um, just being around that you just that vibe, that energy, just the dynasty. And then once he went up to the futures level, which is the lowest level of pro tennis kind of like the minor leagues he was playing there then the challenger circuit and then the eventually makes up the pro circuit he actually played today on center court at Wimbledon third round um just to see like he got up to career high 21 and so just following just the futures level challenger level through at first him but then just going to tournaments um in southern california as much as possible and also going to indian wells which is a tournament in palm desert every year which is kind of like the fifth slam um there's the u.s open wimbledon french open and australian open and then kind of the unofficial fit slam everyone's favorite is out in the desert uh indian well so going to that since i was a little kid every year and just seeing the up close you see the greatest players in the world just especially in the outer courts it's first come first serve courtside seating and you're just seeing unbelievable tennis right in front of you then the practice courts you see the even the greats that would play on stadium court Roger Federer, Serena Williams, Rafa Nadal, the greats right up close and you get to just watch them and the 
access for fans is incredible. And just overall, that's kind of just got me into tennis. But at the same time, I love the lower levels because it's all that access, but there's not like security. There's not like any separation between players and fans. It's just like, uh, for example, this week I was at a 15K tournament here in Los Angeles who uh, Cornell Kentucky transfer from Cornell Lafayette and he was playing and actually special appearance from head coach Cedric Kaufman. He came to watch Lafayette. So uh, Lafayette was playing singles and doubles this week and it was just a 15K tournament, but it's just, you would think it's just a regular tournament. These are just regular guys because um, there's no like security. There's no like a separate locker room, a VIP. They're just trying to make a living at the lowest level of tennis. And that just kind of draws me in because it's like someone like Alafia, for example, or other players at this tournament, maybe in three or four years, you're watching them on TV. Some other players at this tournament was like a world, the world number two junior in the whole world from Paraguay. He's playing it. And then like he got taught a lesson by a number one seed former USC player. He lost like six, two, six, one. So it just shows like the different levels and just the adjustment. And that guy's world number two junior. He lost second round, which just shows in tennis why it's such a smart decision to go to college unless you're there's some players who maybe would be too good but like 99 percent of players in tennis you want to go to college look at liam draxel kentucky number one he was he's been having seller results the last few years on the pro circuit and he's great support from the canadian federation because it's uh, there's not as many players necessarily for candidates to support so he's up there and he receives a lot of funding from them to travel and play tournaments coaching he gets to train there uh i mean kentucky actually it's a national holiday for them it's uh national at the I think it's Happy Canada or National Canada, which is Kentucky basically has six, like tons of Canadians, Kentucky tennis. So this is a national holiday. I was telling said and Matt. Um, so yeah, just, uh, just the different levels of tennis. It's not like just maybe other sports where you only follow the NBA really closely or the NFL. Like it's not as much coverage, maybe like on a G league, but for tennis, like all these people, a lot of these players, like they'll eventually you hope they will make it. And it's like, cool. You have that connection to, someone who was ranked 700 a few years ago and now they're playing at Wimbledon and then just developing those connections over the years at these smaller tournaments and um, becoming a part of college tennis and traveling around and um, just developing relationships over time. And um, I guess like Woj and I was at first Woj, but now I've kind of become a Shams guy. I know I named it after Woj, but Shams is, Shams has been really good. I mean, even today, Brian Windhorst, uh, I'm not sure if you saw that video on Twitter today where he kind of predicted the Jazz were going to blow up their team and then they trade Rudy Gobert. I mean, everyone's having a, I'm not sure what Shams, if he has like bombs or something, but um, yeah, just trying to develop those relationships, cultivate those sources. And in tennis, we don't really have anyone. To, uh, all right, we have uh, some outlets, but for the most part, like for commitments, this isn't like a massive thing. Like if someone commits to Kentucky football, you have like blogs, reporters, there's people like maybe an hour away, their paper, their covenant, not even just in Lexington. And you have the the team that didn't get him. He's covering it like in Texas, let's say, or let's say it's Tennessee or Florida, even schools where they were in the mix, but they didn't land the recruit. They're reporting this news too. And then it's like, even just the kid visits, it's like, Oh, look at unofficial visit. Or it's like a class of 2026 got an offer. Everyone's blasting it out on Twitter. We are just, tennis isn't really something like that. So I actually have a separate Twitter account with like more my main account, Parsa underscore Namadi, which is everything except commitments. And then a few years ago, I started the Parsa Bums account, which is solely just commitments and have that on Instagram as well. So that one is just college commitment signings, transfers, verbal commitments. Uh, and then like, I like to announce a lot of the coaching hires as well, uh, which would be on my main account. So I know that was, sorry, I went on a little bit tangent, but that's some background. <laughs> All right, and I have to, have to find that on Instagram too. Um, but first of all, 
you kind of touched, answered one of the questions I was going to ask because you said, you know, originally started out as the self-proclaimed Woj, and I was going to ask you if you're the Woj, who is the Shams and who is the Chris Haynes? But you said there aren't really other those guys like you, and now you're kind of moving from Woj to Sham yourself. So you kind of, <laughs> you kind of all of them right now, I guess. Yeah, we just encompass all of them. Okay, that'll work. And there's some, there's some other uh, great folks. Um, long time, uh, jun- like the czar of junior tennis, the GOAT, uh, Colette Lewis. She has a great blog, uh, Zoo Tennis. She's been covering it a um, long, long time, and she's a great historian of the sport. Goes to the junior national championships in Michigan every year. And uh, she, like someone else who also likes following players at a younger age, she follows them in junior tennis and then ends up like through college and then when they reach the pros and then Crack Rackets is another great outlet. Um, they do a great job shining a light on um, levels of tennis that don't receive as much coverage too with great podcasts and uh, great commentary on matches. They were commentating at the, one of their members was commentating at the NCAA championships, actually one of the two main crew. Uh, so yeah, uh, probably the number one over there, Alex Gruskin. He does a great job. And uh, yeah, we got, um, there's not as many outlets per se, but hopefully as the sport keeps growing and growing, there's more interest in tennis and specifically college tennis, junior tennis, and people realize what a great sport it is and how much fun you can have, especially at these college matches and Champaign. I mean, Kentucky fans drove up from Lexington, alums drove up, and you're just having an absolute blast because college tennis, you can be loud, you can be cheering, you can just try to get an opponent's head, you could just go nuts as opposed to maybe pro tennis like at Wimbledon, everyone's like eating the strawberries and cream, sipping their champagne, dressed up in suits. You got to have a good etiquette, be quiet. But Carl says you want the coaches, players, you want to create that atmosphere, that buzz. If you just watch like 10 minutes of Liam Draxel, Kentucky's number one, the guy just goes absolutely berserk, especially at home matches, wins a point, goes around, gives the fans a high five, he wins a set. Yeah, if he won a set this year, uh, what lost the first set, won the second set against Tennessee's number one. And he literally just got down the ground doing push-ups just showing the guy like, yeah, I'm not done. We still got another set. The guy just is another level. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, it's like the U.S. Open all the time, as far as atmosphere. You can be raucous. You can be, you know, whooping, exactly, and all that. Especially SEC, that's where it's the most intense, and um, the other conferences are great as well. But I mean, SEC, it just means more. I thought my shirt was saying it just means more. But it says I am the SEC, so. Absolutely. Uh, you, you knew what audience you were coming on to. You like you got the SEC gear on. Yeah, you got I had about twenty shirts in the closet that were orange with the big orange T, so I couldn't put those that one on. Obviously, I had to go with my one neutral shirt. Mm-mm. Thank you. Yes, yes. <laughs> I was waiting to drop that a little bit. Unfortunately, I didn't have any K- UK blue, but I'm like, this is the one neutral shirt I probably have. I'll go with the high end SEC shirt. We got <laughs> we got to solve that and get you some UK. <laughs> Coach Coffin was just out there. He should have had something for you himself. He should just. I mean, the poor Lafayette. I was. I was said, "Is the budget pretty poor? Because Lafayette is still wearing head to toe red." And I'm like, Lafayette, where's your Kentucky blue? He's like, "I've only got two shirts." So I text the Kentucky coaches, "What's going on? We're bad representation of the SEC. Poor budget. Let's get this guy some blue." That's right. That's right. I'm gonna go back to what you said in your first answer. And this it's gonna be a basic question, but a, a lot of my questions will probably become basic, considering you know your level of knowledge. You said a a 15K tournament is lower level. What what does that mean? What's 15K mean? So at the pro level, there's – so you got the U.S. Open, and then you got tournaments that – so that, for example, is worth 2,000 points. You win the U.S. Open, you get 2,000 points, the four Grand Slams. You win, I mentioned the fifth slam, Indian Wells. 
you get 1,000 points as the winner. And then you go down, there's 500 level and then 250. 250, 500, 1,000, 2,000, those are the, those are, that's tour level. Like you're playing at the highest level of tennis, ATP level. So she, like that's the tour for tennis. You go down a little, challengers. So Lexington hosts a challenger tournament every year. The Lexington Challenger, great tournament for fans to go out. And Kentucky players usually get a couple wild cards and they get to play against the pros. That's about usually, there's different levels of challengers, but usually 125, 100, uh, 90, 80. So like that's the number of points the winner gets for those. So just compare. I said US Open, you get 2,000. Challenger, you get about, depending on the level, but somewhere between 75, 80 to about 125, depending on the different levels. And then you go even lower to futures, which is 25Ks and 15Ks. Oh. 15K being the lowest. So 15K means the the whole purse for the tournament, singles and doubles, is only 15,000, as opposed to first round Wimbledon loser probably got 60, 70K hmm. just for losing in the first round. Your ranking gets you in the tournament. You got a wild card into the tournament. You qualified however way you got in the Wimbledon. First round loser gets thousands of thousands of dollars. The total purse for this, for example, this tournament I was just at, and they have all over the world. Uh, every week there's like 10, 15 of these 15Ks or 25Ks. There's a total purse, singles and doubles, 32 singles players, and then 16 uh, doubles teams is the total purse only 15,000. But the reason the players play these is obviously you're losing money playing these. You want to get to the next level because so, you don't want to lose money. But the points, it's valuable points. Like if you're in a 15K, I think maybe about 10 points or 10, 15 points, as opposed to if you lose in the first round, uh, or if you lose, like, let's say, first, or you make second round of, like, Wimbledon, you get, like, I think maybe 90. So, like, there's a big difference. Like, you have to work your way up, and it just shows the amount of years it takes to eventually make it, and why so many people just are stuck at the lowest level of tennis. So, when I say, like, 15K, like, they have those. There's a six-week, actually, circuit out here in Southern California. They had three in San Diego, and then they had one here in L.A., and there's going to be another one, two more in Orange County. Uh, so like it's great for these players. A lot of college players are playing, a lot of junior players are playing, and just sign up, and you're not going to be earning much money. You're going to be losing money because you have to pay the cost of professional tennis player. You're playing in your hotel. You're paying your string, and you're stringing your rackets. You're paying for food. I mean, if you're lucky, maybe you're getting a massage, one massage a week, as opposed to the pros who get like two maybe a day. You have to pay. You have to find people to hit with. I mean, it's just the, all the costs. You you have to do laundry. You have to find somewhere to do laundry. Maybe your hotel. Maybe you're staying in a motel six. They don't have a washer dryer. You got to go do the laundromat. Like all these things at the lowest level is an absolute grind. People think like, oh, pro tennis, what a lavish life. That's only if you're like top 50, top 100, you're making money. Everyone else, even people in the challenger circuit, which is like the middle ground, you're probably not making money either. And this is assuming you're not even paying for a coach. I mean, at the lowest level, they can't even afford a coach unless you're like, for example, uh, top juniors receiving funding from a federation or maybe you're traveling with a college coach. But for the most part, if you're at the lowest level, Maybe you could travel in a pair with like one coach who have three, four guys at a time. But for the most part, you're just, it's an absolute just grind at the lowest level. Food isn't, food isn't great either. If you're playing a 15K tournament in Turkey, Tunisia, like there's tournaments literally all over the world and you want to go where you can earn points because you're going to be losing money no matter what. But you want to try to just earn those points and it's just an absolute grind. So let's see, like a, like a lifetime minor leaguer, maybe in double A, maybe triple a is that the equivalent to the to the challenger or is that the equivalent to the 25k somebody just i would say maybe the for 10 years what's the right um 
I would say maybe Challenger would be equivalent to Corn Perry Tour on golf, where it's still like a pretty organized circuit and pretty good money and points. And you try to, you even like tour players, sometimes they go down to Challengers uh, in tennis to just maybe you're on a losing streak. Maybe just you want to be the higher ranked player in these Challenger draws. Cause maybe you're losing first round every week at the high level. You come down to Challengers, just get some matches in and get some points back as a as opposed to trying to just grind maybe at the highest level you're just getting bad draws i would say maybe single a maybe would be futures but at least single a like it's completely different because you're on a base salary still you're part of a team you're organized travel you're like as a tennis player there's a huge difference between college tennis and when you go on pro college tennis the coaches worry about your food hotel flights so i didn't even mention before flights flights getting everywhere your flights your who you're hitting with i mean there's just so much to worry about as opposed to you wake up at kentucky you have nine, 10 guys on the team, high level for you to practice with every single day. You got three coaches, high level, willing to put in that work with you, give you individual lessons. You got team practices. You have an academic counselor who's helping you with your classes and organizing your schedule, helping you maybe get it. You get free tutoring. You get high level, like really good food of the student athlete dining. I mean, you just got all this. You got a physio or a trainer for you. You go in the trainer, she can massage you. You got the hot tub, you got the cold tub. You got someone who could do the cupping on you. You get all this treatment, everything for free. Like, especially in the SEC, they go, they, they go above and beyond in just making sure student athletes have everything there for them to succeed, both in the classroom and on the tennis court or whatever sport you are. So you have all of this for you. You're living in a really nice, probably lavish dorm. I'm not sure what the student athlete dorms at Kentucky are, but I'm sure they're like other SEC schools and they got a nice setup even as freshmen. And so you just compare all that to going on tour. You're living in, a, you're traveling around every single week. You lose first round, then it's like, okay, the rest of the week, I booked my hotel for four, three, four days. Then I'm like losing out of money because I'm already out of the tournament. What am I going to do? Because tournaments start usually Monday and then they go to the spot finals on Sunday. So if you lose early, then it's like you're stuck. What do you do? And it's all these factors. It's, it is a brutal life. So these points that are so valuable, and you, you play in a tournament where you're losing money to get these points. Do you do you have to have so many accumulated in a calendar year in order to move up? Or do they do you get to how long do they last once you acquire some of these points? Great question. So it's a calendar. So it's kind of just recently back to the 52 week during COVID. It was like a little weird where they changed it a little just because people weren't playing a lot. But it's the 52 week. So let's say uh, Rafael Nadal he just won the Australian Open and the French Open which is 4,000 points right there. Let's say next year he gets injured, doesn't play Australian Open or French Open. He loses 4,000 points. Each of those 2,000 points come right after the Australian Open, the week after when the rankings come out. Let's say he loses first round or doesn't play at all. He loses all those points. Let's say French Open, he makes the, the final, which would be 1,200 points. He loses 800 points, even though he made the finals of the French Open, because the previous year he won the whole thing. So just like at the lower levels, let's say you win a 15K, which hypothetically maybe gets you 10 points. Let's say the following year you go play a challenger tournament, you uh, make the finals or you make, let's say you earn 45 points or 90 points. You actually get the difference. You, you get the uh, surplus of those points. But let's say you were injured, you don't play at all, you like lose all those points. So it's 52-week calendar. doesn't matter necessarily. You don't have to play that same tournament, but it's a, there's every week there's futures, challenger, tour-level tournaments. So if you're playing at the high-level Grand Slam and you win those 2,000, 
<laughs> to win the, if you win the next year you're just breaking even you don't lose or gain points so yeah. it's kind of that kind of rankings does that make sense a little yeah yeah i appreciate you breaking that down too um and real quick we definitely did get to kentucky too but with you mentioned losing in the first round if you're you know high level you know, it doesn't really bother you serena lost in the first round of wimbledon um hate to see it is it is it kind of maybe the end of the line for her as great as she's been do you think maybe it's kind of because uh, i mean to do what she's done look you're old at 27 in professional tennis and here she is way past that um so it's been remarkable is it kind of maybe you think that's the last we'll see of her maybe making finals on a regular basis and things of that nature Oh yeah, that was an absolute. Oh, that was a heartbreaker for her. Yeah, like, absolute yeah. three-hour battle just. Uh, and it was her first match back. I mean, it's tough. She did play doubles the previous week, and she actually looked really good in the doubles. They won two matches, and then her her partner got injured, so they withdrew, and she hit a straight to Wimbledon. But it was her first match back. It was tough. Like you're playing at Wimbledon center court, all that pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't played in a whole year. The last time she played was at Wimbledon last year, and. I don't think it'll be then. I mean, she could. She's this. It's not necessarily the fact that she's talented, but just the mental toughness, that killer attitude. There's just some athletes where, and when it comes down to crunch time, you just uh, know they're going to deliver. Whether it's like a Derek Jeter, like over the years, like I'm a Kobe fan. But there's some guys even like when they do drop 60 on his way out in his last game. There's just some athletes that just have that killer instinct, that just mental toughness. The they know how to handle pressure. And uh, I mean, she's human. I'm sure the pressure got to her that she was very tight in that match. There a lot of rallies where. It was clear she was tight, but it's tough. Your first match backs on um, the ratings are really high. Everyone's watching. Everyone's tuning in. That usually maybe not watch tennis. They're tuning in for that Serena match. And uh, hopefully she plays. She continues to play. Didn't seem like that was then. She hinted she would keep playing. And hopefully she doesn't just play the U.S. Open and she plays maybe some tournaments beforehand just so she can maybe get rid of some of that rust and just maybe feel comfortable on the court. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it's – you never know. People count on Roger Federer and – a few years ago, he still won the Australian Open and Epic Final over Nadal, and um, we still hope he comes back as well. Those are two of the greatest players of all time, and mm-hmm. we hope he don't. It's not the last of them. Absolutely, and I'm I'm with you. Uh, definitely hoping she would uh, continue, like I say, start playing a little more and and work her way back into that rhythm. But just like these great ones, to just ramp it up every time, you know, and make those runs to championships over and over again, you know, and individual sport like Serena Federer or or like a Kobe or a LeBron have done, you know, in, in the team sport, same thing. It's remarkable to see that because they have a target constantly and you know everybody's coming for you and you still go <laughs> and handle business repeatedly. That's, that's truly a great quality. Sure is. Alabama football, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> we can agree on that. <laughs> yes, yes. And I was speaking it up. I was looking at the the tennis champions. I was trying to get a a little lay of how the land is in tennis. Like you said, you know, in, in football you got your Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, basketball, Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, Duke. Um, in tennis, looks like a lot a lot of West Coast flavor. You mentioned USC. I saw a lot of USC titles. I saw a lot of Stanford. Um, UCLA. I saw, yeah, I saw UCLA. I saw some Georgia winning some hardware for the SEC throughout the years. 
that period from 88 to 98 where it was nothing but USC and Stanford, that was insane for a whole decade, just those two. So just talk about who's at the big table and kind of who's at the second tier, who's kind of trying to get there and who's the, you know, plucky little underdogs. Just give us the lay of the land as far as men's tennis has been concerned, you know, historically. Like you said, for a long time, dominating was USC, Stanford, UCLA, and then Georgia's up there with five, I believe. And then uh, in the 2000s, uh, Illinois broke, broke through, had an unbelievable undefeated season. Baylor's won a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio State has been a very elite team, hasn't been yet to crack one, who Kentucky being the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Virginia went on a three-peat uh, a few years ago, and then they were the champions this year, of course. Um, Florida won their first one uh, last year, and Wake Forest won their first one a few years ago. While they hosted in 2018, they hosted, so they got their home court advantage. They won. Uh, Texas won in 2019 uh, over Wake Forest, who uh, they were the defending champs. Um, so it's become a lot – there's a lot more parity now. It's not like one team is just going to go out and dominate and win. Like you said, it's not going to be two teams for 10 years in a row. Although it was for a period of time from about uh, when USC was winning, they won four, and then Virginia won, uh, and then USC won again, and then Virginia won on three piece. So there was like a period of time recently where it was also like that. But I think now it's kind of settled where they're like legitimately this season, maybe about a dozen teams that legitimately could have won. I mean, look at Kentucky. They were the eighth seed. Um where, where it wasn't it wasn't like a shocking result that they made the final. Wow. Uh, it's just uh, it was Virginia. I think Kentucky was it, yeah, because they beat TCU, who was one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, even Virginia. This was I. I think I tweeted right the day of the final something like maybe the first time ever there wasn't a top three seed that had made the final, which was incredible. And so just the parities became a lot better. Like between uh, you had West Coast, you got. Uh, USC's up there, Stanford's still really good, and then you go, you go to Texas, TCU, Baylor, Texas, the Big 12, but they got only in 10 minutes, then it's six teams, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas, Baylor, and really elite conference, and you go to SEC this year, it was Tennessee, Florida, um, Georgia suffered a lot second round, but they still had a solid team, but Tennessee, uh, Florida, Kentucky, Big 10, you go Ohio State, Michigan, who actually played each other in the quarterfinals, uh, rematch of uh, Big Ten Championship a couple, couple weeks prior, and then ACC you had uh, Virginia leading the way, and then also UNC made the round of 16, and uh, Wakes the last about five, six years done a great job as well. So there's like a lot of elite, elite teams where this year would have been too surprising if like seven or eight teams, you, you would have been you would have been too shocked as opposed to maybe football. It could be other than a uh, few teams uh, this year, for example, like the Alabama, Georgia, I mean, SEC, we kind of, they would win. There were people thought maybe Michigan, but then you see the uh, Wolverines ended up getting destroyed. Like, realistically, there were more than, like, four or five, six teams where, like, they could have won as opposed to men's tennis this year. Right, right. So, Coach Kaufman, you know, an alum, played his college tennis for UK. Now he's the coach. So, the past few years, when you look at the program, what what have you seen from Kentucky where have they been in terms of the SEC and in terms of their perception nationally before everybody saw them make this run to the Final Four? Real quick, I found that tweet. First time since 09, 
the top two seeded team did not reach the semifinals. First time ever that no top three seeds reached the semifinals. Team championships began in 77, which just shows how historical of a year this was in parity. And so, yeah, Coach Kaufman, he, uh, he's, he's home. He's there in Lexington, French guy, but uh, doesn't have too much of a heavy accent because he's been there for a long time. And he made a great hire uh, back in 20, summer of 2018, uh, hired Matt Gordon, who is a British coach, played at Coastal Carolina, great, great coach. And he was coaching juniors uh, down in Saddlebrook in the academy down in Tampa, Florida. And he actually worked with players such as Liam Draxel which was a big reason that they landed him because uh, he had coached Liam. And so Matt's an excellent recruiter. He has UK ties and then sets French and a lot of the Canadians speak French and he's kind of, they've turned that into their feeding zone. If there's any good Canadian, you can probably bet that their parcel bomb is going to be to Kentucky. <laughs> they've just been uh, dominating the guy joke. There's something, a team uh, cup called Davis cup, which is all the, you, like the pro levels, like you have four guys on a team and you compete against other countries, kind of in like a team championship. And so they have enough Canadians, we joked every year to have like a Davis Cup Canadian team. You just pluck them all from Kentucky. And so they've done a great job. And then one of the transfers actually from Wake Forest, he's Canadian, Taha Badi. So he's coming, uh, he's really good friends with Gabe Diallo, who's on Kentucky right now. And then you got Alafia Yanni coming from Cornell, a uh, grad transfer. So um, they got the Canadian flavor and Coach Coffin's done a great job kind of tapping into that. And then they're also great player developers. And I remember when, Diallo committed, like he committed very early. It was maybe about a year and a half, two years maybe before he was about to start school. And I was like, eh, is he really parse bomb worthy? I don't know, Coach Kaufman. Like, because on paper, the guy would do that much, but he was like a freakish athlete. You could just tell he was gonna, just going to be a beast, like super athletic. And uh, Coach Kaufman knew it from day one. I remember he told me, like, he was joking, like, hey, if this guy in like three, four years, by the time he graduates in four or five years, if he's not an All-American, then I didn't do my job. I should be fired. And lo and behold, the guy did become an All-American a couple of times. So he definitely predicted that one. And uh, they've done a good job developing. And they had a really good volunteer system. Last couple of years, Peter Cobell, or just this past year, Peter Cobell, um, who actually uh, just left for Nebraska. He's the new Nebraska assistant coach. So a volunteer, you don't. So in tennis, there's head coach, assistant, and volunteer, who you don't get paid from the school. But you can usually make money. Uh, you, I'm sure he was probably helping out with tennis camps. He's probably giving lessons every day or doing clinics on the courts there, which is like a nice plus. Like you don't have to go find courts. The head coach and assistant coach, nice attraction for them. Usually at any school to get volunteer assistant coaches, you make sure they have enough people maybe to give lessons to. They can run the clinics so they can make money that way because the guy needs to make a living, obviously. But he's now at Nebraska, so he's nice. Uh, he gets to be a paid assistant coach now. He's the number two guy at that program. So he's in the Big Ten now. He's an Ohio State alum, so he's back in the Big Ten. And then, uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll they have someone get lined up who will continue to help because in tennis, it's so important each of those coaches because there's six courts and singles, three coaches. You max some teams only have two, but if you're smart, you want to have three just because each coach can be on two courts at a time. Otherwise, it's like maybe each coach has three courts and stuff. Like, oh, Liam's on this court. You need to go tell him something. Oh, there's a big point on this court. I got to go tell Diallo something. And so it's nice having that balance and people you can trust. Like, okay, and also there's some facilities where that's you don't see six across. Uh, like Champagne, you see six across, but there could be some places where it's like indoors, three on one side, three on the other. You don't even know what's going on on the other side. Mm -hmm. And so you need coaches that you can trust 
imagine like you're it's a football game or basketball and like the offensive corner the head coach doesn't even know what the offensive coordinator is doing he doesn't even know what the defensive coordinator is doing he can't even watch that side of what, what's going on so you gotta have trust in your staff and trust in your players and uh yeah it's a the culture is so important tennis is setting that up and having people who you know have your back and people who you know are going to give 110 percent effort all the time and guys that both players and coaches you just want a great culture that's like one of the most important things if great teams culture 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 and just instilling that in like when new coaches take over or like if you kind of have a kind of a reinvigorating roster like they kind of revamped the roster a few years ago and they've with the train support you can add in new transfers and just they've completely changed the culture every guy's bought in um and it's been cool to see they culminated in their first semifinal then final and they uh unfortunately ran into a virginia team that just crushed everyone in champagne but unbelievable season alums were very proud they a lot of them went up there and they were just so proud of the boys and hopefully it's not the last we'll see of them in the NCAA championship. And from the sounds of it, you said that even though they were an eight seed, it, it didn't surprise you from an expectation standpoint to see them make the run they made in the tournament. I'm, I'm going to bring up something that's painful to us, but like, you know, St. Peter's knocked us out in the first round at the NCAA tournament, and then they went on and made a run to the Elite Eight. They beat Purdue, and they beat all these other teams. Nobody saw that coming. The chance of them doing that next year, no chance. Holloway's already moved on to Seton Hall, and, and so we probably won't see them do this next year. Sounds like it's not like Kentucky's made a run to the Final Four out of nowhere like St. Peter's. Sounds like they kind of been laying the groundwork didn't surprise you to see them get to the final four so they've kind of built some stuff that's sustainable and gonna last from from what from the way it sounds so the equivalent of that thing to march madness would be think of them as a two seat because there's in march madness four one seats four two seats they were the eight seed in tennis so it wouldn't be like necessarily too surprising if a two seed makes it um which is why i said that so i think uh and they were such a deep team and the rankings from like seven to like 12 13 you could have it was such a small margin you could have put them any kind of sort of order. Um, and they hosted uh, the first three rounds and then they went to, uh, and then Champagne was the quarterfinals TCU, great match, uh, four, three. So they barely knocked them off. And those are two teams that were just some, sometimes on any given day, um, parity is just so close in tennis, especially the last few years at the highest level of men's college tennis. Parity is so close. It just sometimes depends who wants some more. It's such a small margin and college tennis, it's no ad which means the scoring goes 15 love, 30 love, 40 love, and then you get that fourth point. Uh, so, sorry, I didn't explain that right. If it's 40-40 in pro tennis, you play a deuce point. Mm -hmm. In college tennis, it's called deciding point. You just get that fourth point, the game's over. As opposed to in Wimbledon, you watch Serena. The reason why it was so long, three and a half hours, they had a lot of deuce points. Mm -hmm. If once both girls get to 40-40, which is like 3-3, then they, let's say Serena wins a point, it becomes advantage Williams. Another girl gets a point, goes back to deuce. She wins a point, goes advantage her. It's supposed to call tennis, becomes 40-40, or they call it deuce. Whoever wins that deciding point wins the game. And right. so, it's, which we changed about five, six years ago uh, to make it more attractive for TV. Otherwise, matches could go on a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a huge change, changing it to no ad. That's probably been the biggest change in the last decade in college tennis, that rule, um, which also creates more parity. It's results-wise you would expect the matches to be a little closer just because there's more chance for an upset because usually the better player over time will win as opposed to this. I mean, you just need four points and you win that game. You can just get a couple, couple lucky shots and boom, it's just, you get, you get that advantage. So um, yeah, people weren't really surprised that they made it that far. Um, 
semifinals, Ohio State was probably a favorite match was indoors. And they had uh, – Ohio State's always been really good to last, like, 10, 15 years, really great teams, but they just haven't been able to get that one natty. They've won indoor championships. They haven't got that outdoor natty. It looked like this would be their time. They got a Kentucky team where on paper they should beat, and they had beat earlier, but they won doubles, and uh, I believe had won four first three, four, three or four first sets in singles. They were looking good in singles too, but Kentucky just made a comeback and pushed through there and uh, punched their ticket to the finals. Awesome, awesome. Um, I got to ask you now, because you've been out there on the West Coast, familiar, very familiar with, with the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is now moving, well, UCLA and USC are moving to the Big Ten. From a tennis standpoint, just tell us what that means or what you think that means for the Big Ten and, and for USC and, and all that. How you think that landscape change affects stuff? It is wild. <laughs> From the perspective of the current Big Ten teams, I know they're ecstatic because uh, men's – so there's no Rutgers and no Maryland in men's side of tennis. Just on the women's side, there is. And the Big Ten, unfortunately, is very top-heavy where uh, last probably 15, 20 years, it's been Ohio State, Illinois, and then uh, Michigan's broken through and had a lot of good years this year. They were uh, Big Ten regular season champs. Um or sorry, Big Ten tournament champs. And so uh, those three are very good. The Illinois didn't have a good season, but they've won a national championship. They've had good seasons. Then you go down, and the bottom of the Big Ten is not too good. So it's a ranking system where it depends who you beat. You get points based off the ranking of the team you beat. Okay. So it doesn't help Ohio State and Michigan to have a conference schedule. Their conference schedule does not help them whatsoever. As opposed to SEC, if it's gauntlet schedule, even like bottom of the conference will still help you get some points as opposed to big 10, you're playing teams that are just not doing it for you. And it just, <laughs> there's a lot of blowouts, but now you're bringing you in. Purdue in their sleep does nothing for their RPI or whatever, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, and actually Purdue just got a new head coach, Michigan State got a new head coach and get two good hires that hopefully helps uh, elevate them. Um, but there's some programs that are kind of shaky. Uh, won't call them out, but adding USC UCLA, this then adds two historically very good programs where it's more rankings points all across the board. But you don't really, if you're those lower teams, you only kind of have one or two shots to be like in Ohio State or Michigan or in Illinois. And if it's on the road, I mean, good luck trying to get a win at Ohio State indoors. They're like unbeatable almost. And so this just adds like more depth to them and also just more notoriety because you can get kids from, you can now recruit kids in uh, USC UCLA can also recruit kids in the Midwest. It's all, it's all beneficial for them because this is all kind of off sport, all sports, not just men's tennis, yeah. but especially like football, basketball, that football USC coach Lincoln Riley can go in and Midwest and be like, yeah, this isn't the last time you're going to be playing for your family. You can come out to the West coast, yeah. but you're still going to have games the whole season. Your family can still see you. So don't see it as you necessarily leaving your home for four years. You'll be coming back here every week. We'll be having a snowy game in Penn state. We'll be having games that, I mean, just, it's just wild to be thinking of as a way going up West Coast Pac-12. I mean, I missed the Pac-12 after dark, but I mean, Pac-12 kind of shot themselves in the foot. It's just embarrassing. And it's, I watched game basketball games and uh, it's like so late at night, especially when I was a few years on the East Coast living on the Eastern time and watching these games. It's like, man, it's so late and no one really even cares about it. Because, yeah. I mean, if you're an SEC media person, you're not staying up that late to watch 
even if it's a high level game, you're not staying up that late. So then you just underrate their level, their talent, especially Oregon football, for example, has been really good or Stanford football. You just don't know that they're good just because you've never probably seen them. They're on so late. It just Larry Scott, the previous commissioner was just absolutely horrendous, which ironically played Harvard tennis and was a top hundred player in doubles. And then he was the uh, COO of the ATP. And then he was the CEO of the WTA, which is the Women's Tennis Association. I mean, this guy did not represent tennis quite well, which is just hilarious to think about. I mean, the guy is just was horrendous with Pac-12 and just did not uh, got him a massive TV deal and just long term was just awful. And the poor guy they hired a year ago, it's not his fault at all. I mean, it's uh, the mess was already started and just Pac-12 has became irrelevant. And USC, shout out to USC. Uh, Mike Bone was actually at Colorado when he led the move to leave the Big 12 for the Pac-12 because they were afraid. Uh, was it, I think it was the they, they, they would maybe get booted out. There was something going on where Colorado had to act. So he did a great job like a decade ago when he was AD there, moving them to the Pac-12. And now we see it again. They were kind of the impetus and they convinced their little brother, UCLA, uh, let's go over to the Midwest. Let's go to the Big Ten and Fox. They'll get all that Fox money now, yeah. which obviously is not going to affect men's tennis. It's a trickle down effect where football and football will get all that money, and over time it will trickle down all those all the sports. People always say, like, oh, the sports they don't really benefit, just football gets the money, but it's a trickle down effect. It goes into the athletic department, and then I, as a result, the budgets of all these programs then increases as a result. And you just see like the they're getting what maybe 30 million a year, and then you see like Vanderbilt or Rutgers getting like 80 90 million a year, which just doesn't, doesn't make sense yeah. from the conferences. So that's a big reason why they made the move. And I think it's a good move for them, obviously, to travel. You're not really thinking of the student athletes when you make these decisions because now you're talking about all this cross travel as opposed to driving from down from Cal or Stanford to USC or you're driving from USC to Arizona. If you want to save some money, you can also fly too. But if you want to save some money, there's zero driving now unless you're going from USC to UCLA, obviously. They have to fly. But you, you they got to fly a lot now, and it's tough for those student athletes. You're going to be on the road a lot more. You're going to be flying a lot more. You're going to be in hotels a lot more. You're going to be missing classes a lot more. So in that respect, like in a lot of the players on these teams, and they didn't really think of them. The, not the sports besides basketball, football get affected the most because they're not going on private jets. They're not getting all those luxuries. And, uh, and football is also just once a week. Uh, so I think it's good and bad, but there's it's definitely exciting and change college landscape forever the college athletics landscape yeah and been hearing about this you know all the, they're going to eventually be break away from the ncaa and make a super conference and and they're all going to do their own thing and, and now i think both of the both of the coastal conferences are suffering i think i think you know, the, the pac-12 is this is kind of crippling for them i think the acc is, is going to be crippling for them as well and the sense is the SEC and, and the Big Ten. We'll see what the Big Twelve does, but it's kind of it's kind of purged or get purged, and the ACC and the Pac twelve are, are getting purged of it. I would say the, the SEC might make a move now and, and try to get you know a Florida State or a Clemson or a Virginia Tech or something, and you know, now now it's the arms race. Well, let's get twenty teams over here because Oklahoma and Texas are already coming to the SEC. So now the you know Big Ten does this. So we'll see what Sankey and them decide to do. So, you know, it's it's like, you know, the line's been drawn and the ACC and the Pac-12 are just kind of getting left behind. So, just kind of. I mean, poor Oregon. I was seeing a bunch of memes like it was a hood neighborhood in Oregon. It was like this Lamborghini just sitting there. 
It's like, what is Oregon doing now? It's like, damn, damn, we, we in a rough spot. What are we doing here? <laughs> We're surrounded by Oregon State, Washington State. Oh, get us out of here. All that Nike money just sitting there. <laughs> is Oregon and Washington moving too? I thought they were they were in the mix. Are they trying to go to Big Ten also? I mean, if there's more other Pac-12 teams reached out too, but I feel like Big 12 and the Pac-12 kind of just form. It's just geographically that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Um, Big 12, a lot of it's Texas, other than maybe West Virginia or like in Iowa State, but I think it would be smart for some of the top Pac-12 teams or maybe even just Arizona, Arizona State, but people, these ADs, these presidents got to do something because you're, you're going to be left behind and you don't want to be on the outside looking in. And as a, it's rough being a mid-major. I know a lot of mid-major tennis coaches are kind of scared for what's to come because it's just a different ball game. And then we're not even speaking yet of NIL, which isn't necessarily too big in tennis, but you're, if you're at a mid-major, it's just tough and your budget's a lot smaller. Your facilities probably aren't as big. Your salary isn't as big and just a complete different level than the Power 5 schools, especially the SEC, which in Big Ten now, just funding-wise, it's just a different ball game and it's tough to compete. There's not many guys on a team that's supposed to football. Like There's tons of roster spots to fill out, but tennis is just a few spots and you don't want to get left behind. And Yeah, it's, it's wild time in college athletics. Yeah, for sure. A couple more quick ones, man. I'll let you go. I didn't mean to keep you this long. Um, got to give us a scout report on your 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 tennis game when, when Parsa is on the court. <laughs> how what what do we got? We got a, a, a vicious serve. We got to come into the net. We got some some drop shots that just nobody can get to. What what are you hitting everybody with when you hit the court, Parsa? So we do got some vicious drop shots. I uh, I'm a very tricky. I would say player to play. Uh, can kind of a backboard. But have big forehand. Love uh, love running around my backhand, hitting a nice big forehand, and then drop shotting, kind of mixing it up. Love hitting angles. Probably I would say annoying person to play just because I uh, I I'm not. A, I would say since I've stopped playing tennis like competitively, I really I don't play as much now. So it's probably out of shape. But if it gets on the tennis court, my mentally I can. I'm like Serena. I go three four hours. Let's do it. I just want to. It's like just a mental challenge. I'll just go to war with you. It'll take a lot to beat me. So just. Uh, Actually, can go hit with a D1 player right after this, so hopefully, uh, don't get uh, my butt kicked too bad. <laughs> one of those, one of those crafty Greg Max types. Exactly. We just gotta, we gotta use our craftiness and not the most physically imposing player like a Gabe Diallo in Kentucky. That's just an absolute tall giant, just serving 130 aces. Uh, gotta be a little more crafty and use my drop shots and the angles and the mental toughness. Again, the opponent's head. Love getting the opponent's head just get some come on staring at them just vamos you know just try to be that pest you know that's it that's it now when we go to to men's tennis we are women's playing right now the guys like you mentioned all these big athletes the dudes that are just huge serve after huge serve do you like seeing that or do you wish it was more you know drop shots and finesse or do you you know the isners and these six eight dudes are just rocketing 138 miles serves at one another for an entire match. Do you wish, you know, kind of like baseball, it's a home run and a strikeout. Eh, people kind of get bored with that. Do you wish there was a little more mix? I'm in the minority where I do enjoy it because I just respect, like, it's not easy to hit all those aces. Like, the, like if, for example, Isner, the amount of years and the amount of practice he's done to get a serve that good. Like, if you have a serve that good, why not? Just like in um, football, if you uh, have a wide receiver just that fast and he's just going to go, down the just verticals or have them just go right down the line and speed past everyone get a touchdown um 
or just a running back that is physically imposing, just goes right through you or any sport where you're just that good. You just got to respect the talent that it takes to do that. It's not like he's necessarily cheating. Like, yes, he's tall, but there's tall people who aren't necessarily great servers. Um, and you, and it's mentally tough because like, he's not the greatest returner. So he has to try to hold serve as much as possible because in a return game, he's not the greatest. He's, it's hard for him in a break serve. So that's why he plays so many tie breaks. He holds serve and then he can't break the other person's serve because he's not the greatest returner. So they have a lot of tie breaks. And he knows, like, okay, if I lose my one service game, I'm good chance I've lost the set. And so that's why he's he's had great wins over Federer before. He's beat all the greats before. And you just got to respect that massive weapon. I mean, in all sports, you have um, huge weapons, and you just got to – Kobe or James Harden, they get to the foul line 20, 30 times a game. Could it be annoying for fans to watch? Yes, but if you have the ability to get those calls, if you have the ability to kind of uh, use that ability that you have, why not? Yeah, that's that's true. And but at the same time, I understand it's not like if you're not a tennis fan or even tennis fans, and a lot of them don't like necessarily watching that, and it could be boring for them. But I mean, I I find it fascinating because he can beat the best players in the world, and it's fascinating to watch how a Nadal, how a Djokovic, try to like they're trying so hard to break this guy's serve, and even the best players in the world sometimes struggle with it if he's on. So he beat Andy Murray the other day, and he even said his post match interview, he's very aware. He's like. I am clearly not a better tennis player than Andy Murray, but I served lights out today and like I did what I needed to do to win. But like he obviously it was a British crowd, so he was he's smart and he understood that. So you play up to them and he knows he's not a better tennis player than a lot of these players, but he needs to use his weapons and use what he has. He's getting older too. So we can't blame the guy for trying to win. He's trying to make a living, he's trying to put food on the table for his kids. He needs to use his weapon. If he just tries to hit it softer, he's gonna lose because his weapon is hitting that ball 140 miles an hour. Yeah. And like the pressure it puts on the opponent. If they gotta break his, if they don't break a service, it's over. Or if they don't hold their own serve, then you, it's gonna be so tough to break him. Yeah. If he happens to just get a few good returns in, then they're like, shoot, how am I gonna break this guy? It's the mm -hmm. two way street. He gets broken, you probably lost the set. He gets a break, probably wins the set if right. he's on. Right, that makes sense. Gotta talk about our sponsor real quick. Lots of Rain Watches has been sponsoring this podcast. From the beginning, talk about him each and every time. Dave and Ben, the founders, Dave has hopped on here. Lotsofrain.com. They got watches for men, watches for ladies, casual, formal, whatever look you want to go to. Lotsofrain, L-A-T-O-U-R-A-I-N-E.com. They got the watch for your occasion. Go to Lotsofrain.com. And also our friends at Asia Blue. Every episode of this podcast appears on their website. Jason Markman, all the fellas. Put these episodes of the podcast up on theseablue.com, so check that out as well. And we definitely appreciate all of them. The coolest moment you've seen from all these all these greats that have rolled through at Indian Wells, you've been up and close and right there sitting courtside with Federer and Serena and Nadal and all of them. Has there been an interaction or an autograph or just a spectacular play that, you know, jaw-dropping that, that stands out as far as the memory is concerned and all the tennis you've seen them play? I was lucky enough a few years ago, uh, 2017, I believe, I got a player guest credential for Indian Wells by Sam Query, who is a top American player, reached Wimbledon uh, semifinals, I believe, once. And so he's uh, been a top 15 player. And uh, he gave me a player guest credential for two days and um, was an absolute blast to go in the player dining room. And you're like, sit, you're sitting there, and there's like literally all the greats right there, player, uh, the player lounge. 
uh, so not locker room. I, I was basically able to go everywhere except the locker room, which is understandable. Um, but go to player lounge where all the players just chilling, hanging out, waiting for the match. Um, get to go by. The, there's some practice courts that were not accessible to fans. And there's like this massive grass area that's closed off to fans where players are just warming up, stretching, playing soccer, hanging out. And just that experience, like those, those two days, just being kind of seeing everything from the backside and uh, the angle where even if I were a media, I probably wouldn't be able to see because that's uh, would just be for the player against the media, eat somewhere else, there's a media room. So it's just kind of cool seeing that for the first time from the back end and um, from like 15K tournaments where uh, you're with those players interacting and then some of those players, it's then cool, you're hanging out with them years later at like Indian Wells, a massive tournament. Um, but every year there's just always so many cool matches and um, still seeing, for example, still my favorite player, probably Steve Johnson, and that's kind of his home tournament and he, he's had some good runs there before, had some big wins and always turn him on. I'm always a big fan of the other Americans as well and I've got to know a lot of them over the years and especially some of them now. Um, they're kind of my age and seeing them when they were younger and juniors or they were playing uh, at these future tournaments and challenger tournaments and now I see them at these big tournaments is really cool and just see how far they've come. It's even the best of all time, Fred or Nadal, they had to come from somewhere. They were playing futures at a young level too, but obviously those guys make that jump from futures to challenger to ATP way, way, way quicker than almost anybody else, but everyone has to come from somewhere at some point and even Serena Venus, they, they, uh, everyone comes from somewhere. So, yeah, it's a fantastic sport, and hopefully, we attract some new tennis fans today in Lexington. For sure, for sure, man. What's what you got lined up, you know, content-wise, as far as parcel bombs, you know, throughout the, the off season for college or for the you know, the pros throughout the rest of the summer and fall. So, on my main Twitter account, I've been doing it's been a lot of breaking all the coaching news. Um, parse that underscore nomadi. So, for example, yesterday uh, tweeted that uh, a certain coach in the Big 12 resigned due to personal reasons, which is like it was a massive job, or tweeting uh, new assistant coaches, new head coaches, and uh, breaking all those coaching news. I like to break that before the official press releases. So, try to get those scoops in time, just mm -hmm. like with the bombs and parse the bombs. We've got um, some lined up, some big ones lined up as well. So, uh, we got always some bombs ready to go out. So, Today's actually the last day to go on the portal. Uh, if you want to be eligible for the fall, July 1st, this is the deadline for spring athletes, which includes men's and women's tennis. So uh, I tweeted out a reminder yesterday on Parsa Bombs if you're uh, if you're sniffing a little transfer. Uh, uh, I mean, that's what means more bombs for me. So if you're thinking about going on the portal, make sure you do in the next 24 hours. Otherwise, you won't be able to. So the bombs are all the commitments and everything's on the Parsa Bombs account. And then tweeting about pro tennis, junior tennis, and breaking all the college tennis news that is not a commitment commitments wise on my other twitter account well, man good stuff i appreciate you tagging me in those tweets you know as of course i was looking for like some kentucky people and i'm like uh ooh, this gentleman looks like he's a big kentucky fan and he actually appreciates tennis i think you may give a retweet and then you retweet it both i'm like boom we got a uh, one of the main uh i'll keep you in the loop now on the kentucky bombs you'll be getting those tags yeah, for sure. So I definitely appreciate that. And definitely got to have you on again, for sure. And take it easy on that D1 dude you're about to play later on today, man. <laughs> I mean, we're just slumming it up out here. Uh, I'll be playing that at Pepperdine, which is literally right across the beach. So oh. it's a spoiled oh. paradise. <laughs> man, the life, man, the life. <laughs> Someone's got to live this tough life for that. That's good. Well, man, enjoy that. Enjoy the good long weekend. Hopefully you get a long weekend. 
Everybody check this out, the Believe.com, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. We have it up on uh, the Believe YouTube channel as well. Parson, thank you so much, and, and can't wait to have you on again, man. Thanks for having me on, Vinny, and don't tell anyone in Knoxville, but go BBN. I will say it one time ever, the only time I'll ever say that, BBN, baby, Big Blue Nation. That's right. <laughs> Here, for the record, that's all that matters. And we got to get <laughs> Kaufman to get you some gear. That'll make it official, too, man. We got to holler at him. not sure I can wear it in public, but... Uh... <laughs> California would be fine. I can't. I don't wear any red. The only red I wear is is a Mike Trout or a Tanya Angels gear. I'm a huge Angels fan, but just because, I mean, I can't be wearing anything associated with Alabama, Georgia. So, I mean, the color red the last few years has completely gone out of my wardrobe unless it's Angels. That's right. So let's we gotta get Coach Coffin to get you some blue. And speaking of the Angels, what I know you're gonna be biased, but what y'all was kind of wrong for that fight, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Oh, see, I'm in the minority in that too. I was, I was, I was in some group chats defending us. And I'm like, I'm in the minority. These aren't even Mariners fans, and I'm just getting hammered. I mean, you go after Trout. I mean, I know it was a two-run game. Why would you go for the best play? Like, in laying the game in a two-run game, you're not going to be trying to hit someone in the head. But I mean, that's our boy. I mean, Mike Trout's the king. You throw at him. Next day, we're going to go at you. I mean, it was not pretty. It was not pretty. But man, look, it's your angels. Trout, the best baseball doesn't market well like they should, but Trout's the best player this generation. And he could stroll through Lexington and a lot of people wouldn't know who he is. Shohei is doing amazing stuff. Uh what Trout's only been to the playoffs once. Um I'm not I'm not trying to put salt in the wound. I'm not trying to put salt on. You get Joe Madden, who won a World Series with the Cubs. I mean, the poor guy got a mohawk the yeah. day. So he was going to show the players. He wanted to lighten the mood. They had a massive losing streak. Yeah. Gets a mohawk. He got fired before he can show them his mohawk haircut. How sad is that? They were 26. And now the guy we got suspended for 10 games. Still leaving suspended for 10 games. I mean, jeez. 27 and 17 and just rolling right along and then oh I'm, I'm like i'm not telling you anything you don't know but the angels are just so my ducks are struggling my lakers didn't make the playoffs i mean <sighs> chargers i mean i uh it's, it's a rough time you know yeah yeah all right didn't mean to end on a bad note man but we're We'll come back. And- Getting in my head now. I'm gonna go play tennis. I'm just thinking of all these. All my teams are struggling. No, no. You, when you see that young fella talking a little trash, you you got it. You got it. <laughs> all righty, sir. <laughs> well, appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely, y'all. Check this episode out. Like we said, check it out. Rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see y'all next time on another episode of Believe in the Ticket. Thanks again to our homie Carson. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube